When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the wheelhouse. You can see the confidence build day by day, and there is an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from. Starring Jerry Depoto. And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now chapter three is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill Jr. He seems along those lines where he wants to be great and does everything possible to go get it. It's time for the wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Time once again for the wheelhouse podcast. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, and Jerry Depoto as we broadcast today from the visiting radio booth at Progressive Field. The Mariners are getting set for this weekend series against the Cleveland Guardians. Jerry, it's good to have you on the road. How are you? I, I, I enjoy being on the road occasionally. It's a- <laughs> Here at the Prague, which <laughs> seems fun. Prague. Did you? Uh, have you, I, I'm not familiar with the Prague as a nickname. Is this well documented, or only is this a, a Depoto special? No, I, I think it is among locals. You okay. Know, I, I don't think it's uh, it, it's just setting the, the league afire. But <laughs> here locally, I have had I have had multiple references as the Prague. Hey, speaking of uh, uh, being local, you went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame today for the first time. Yeah. You know, it's a, oddly, you know, I, I played here for my first six years professionally. It was with the Indians organization uh, prior to, obviously, their name change. And and uh, my first two years in the big leagues were here in Cleveland. And the, my first year was at old Cleveland Municipal Stadium. And then my second year was here when it was then Jacobs Field. And that was the year they, they were, were starting – the, the construction at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, and I think it opened, officially opened the, the next year and I never made it back. And we've been here multiple times since as 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 a traveling party. This is probably the third, fourth time in the last seven years I've come on the Cleveland trip. And uh, and I've never made it over to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I and I said last night with I sat with Andy McKay and I said, Hey, you wanna go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I've never been. And uh, you know, we, we had a chance to go through. It was awesome. We saw more than a handful of Mariners fans that who you know, nice. picked us out of the crowd and, and wanted to talk Mariners baseball. But I was more interested in the, the, the rock and roll. Did you tell them to leave a five-star review on the Wheelhouse podcast? There's, I'm all for it. I didn't mention it. You know, I, was, <laughs> I was locked in on, on some of the, the memorabilia. Well, Gary's a huge museum guy. Gary, I'm surprised you haven't been yet. I know. I'm thinking of going tomorrow. Do you want to yeah. come? I might be down for that. Okay. Yeah. You know, the other thing about Jerry on this trip that I really appreciated Flying here, everyone wore football attire. I got to say, Jerry, your Steve Largent jersey was pretty sweet. That was a good one. I think that will tickle Mariner fans' hearts. Yeah, I, it tickled my heart. <laughs> Steve Largent, first, great guy, right? And there's, as a just moving to Seattle, my wife and I went to our first Seahawks game, and you know, we're standing in a team shop the next day. And I got it. I got the fever, and I always support the local teams, no matter. And and uh, the, at this time, the Seahawks are awesome. And you know, we had a wonderful experience at that first game. And then we're standing in a team shop, and and I saw that, that you know, 
Mitchell and Ness sweater jersey hanging up on the on the wall, and I said to Tammy, "That's sweet," yeah. I, you know, and I wound up getting it for a Christmas gift that year, and, and uh, I've had it since, and probably break it out two or three times a year. Nice. And, and yesterday was a good one. I was a little hot, I got to tell you. But <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, great. it looked good though. It was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the Mariners are playing really well. They're on the heels of a sweep of that three-game series against the Tigers. Mariners are playing the Guardians for the second time in a short span. That phenomenal four-game series the Mariners won over each row weekend back at home against Cleveland. There's a lot to talk to you about, Jerry, as always, but especially right now it seems like. The news over each row weekend was the Julio extension. We want to spend some time right away talking about that. Uh, first of all, I can't imagine what it's like for you and your department when you uh, sign a kid internationally when he's just a teenager. He comes up in your organization. Not only does he debut, he becomes an all-star, and then you lock him up like this. Uh, what an emotional time, just from a, a personal side of things, just getting to know the, the person of Julio Rodriguez in your organization. You, you must be so proud. Very proud. And and that's what I said to him the next you know, I guess. It was getaway day on Sunday as we were getting ready to leave for Detroit, and we did the the actual official signing of his contract. And I gave him a hug and told him, I'm proud of you. Not very many players in the history of baseball have, have gotten to experience what Julio just experienced as a 21-year-old, signing a contract that minimally guarantees him $210 million, and the upside is so much greater than that. But the organizational celebration associated with you know how far he's come from 16 years old, the Dominican summer program. Andy McKay shared some footage of his first day in class as a as a 16 year old in English class, and uh, and how far he's come both in in the the physical look you know where he was in terms of of mastering the English language which has now you'd never know it wasn't his first language and he is so far along in almost every way and we knew the day he showed up that he was he was emotionally mature and what we how we've watched him mature in the how he builds his relationships the way he interacts with the people around him the love and the care that he shares with his teammates and the staff and we have never had a player that cared about the Mariners or believed in our programs any more than Julio has. And and I think there's something too, you know, it's it's different when you sign young players at sixteen and seventeen in Latin America and and you are effectively signing up for continuing that player's evolution as a person. Their parents are giving you the keys to help finish off raising their child to a degree. And and as a result, we've had a wonderful relationship with Julio's family and you know and, and they are invested in the Mariners as much as as any of us are. And I think that that made a lot of this possible. The contract is so interesting and one that I don't think I'm speaking of a turn saying we haven't seen one like this in Major League Baseball before. And we don't have to go over all the details because it's pretty thick in details. But what were those conversations like? How did you get to that point where we ended up? So, you know, when we first started, this was just prior to our draft meetings beginning. So uh, I'm going to pin it at about July 1st, July 2nd. And we are getting in the, the room for our three weeks of, of national meetings for the draft. And and uh, right before we started day one, I, I, I said, you know, I'm going to – I had visited with John Stanton, with Chris Larson, our ownership group, uh, about this possibility that, that we'd like to start going down this road. We knew that the numbers would be big. And, you know, we, we set up what we thought were reasonable uh, comps for what it might look like at the start. 
And, you know, I, I said to Justin in a, in a meeting just before that first day, I'm, I'm going to give Ulysses a call uh, with Ulysses Cabrera of Octagon, who represents Julio, and did a phenomenal job on this contract. But I just walked outside, walked up and down First Avenue. I gave Ulysses a, a call as I was uh, cruising by all the, the wraps on the windows outside the Ellis Pavilion. And I asked him what their interest level might be in opening a discussion like this during the season. And and he said, ah, you know, it'll be tough. It's not an easy one to figure out, but we're open to listening to anything. And, you know, we, we started talking, I would say, a week, two weeks go by, and we're, we're having one or two conversations. And then as we got to the, the All-Star break, and on the day that uh, Julio called me and asked, uh, roughly asked for our blessing to, to, for him to go hit in the home run contest, which I thought was great. And, you know, that's the day it really started to pick up. And I said it in the press conference, and, and I'll say it again, like, and I said this jokingly to John, but only so much jokingly. Uh, I called John and I said, hey, I just had a really nice conversation with Julio. I think this thing is starting to progress. Now, by the way, he's going to hit in the home run contest, and I think it got a lot more expensive. <laughs> and uh, so it did. That was his coming out party, I think, uh, for for the world at large that didn't know what was happening the way we were seeing it in Seattle and, and good for baseball, good for Julio. It took so many conversations and so many different avenues as you see through the arteries of the contract. It's, it's pretty complex. And, you know, it started out like a normal contract, like you might see anyone else sign. And, and then we just started creating all these different, different pathways. And we, we pulled from many different, contracts along the way to build what we thought was perfect in representing Julio and what his goals were and trying to find how we were going to to manage this over time and hopefully keep him here for the entirety of his career. In a process like this, especially during the season, when do you personally talk to Julio about this? So he called me on the phone the morning after um, we agreed to, to terms, which was two days prior, I think, to, uh, to the, the actual press conference and unveiling. So this would have been, you know, Thursday night, Friday morning. I agreed with, with uh, Ulysses. We worked through some details on Friday, but I got a, a call from Julio, uh, and, and he it expressed how excited he was, and as, as, as only Julio can. He's, he's a wonderful person. Think about how much has happened to Julio Rodriguez in such a short period of time. Go back and replay in your mind the social media video with the GoPros in Scott's office in spring training when Scott informs him he's a part of the opening day roster and the look on Julio's face and the hugs with, with Scott and Justin Hollander. And then before the month of September hits, he's signing this historic mega deal to be a Mariner for potentially, my goodness, potentially, essentially for life. When you look at what this does to change a franchise, I mean, there aren't many contracts that are franchise changers, Jerry. How does this change your franchise? First, I think it keeps what has been throughout the most exciting young player in, in our organization, on our team, and perhaps in the league at large, or certainly one of them. You know, I, I don't want to undersell what other markets might feel, but... He's our most exciting young player. We think he's awesome. Truly, there is no limit on the things that he could accomplish as a major league player. We're starting to see some of that unfold already. 
He's had a wonderful rookie year doing things that you just don't see rookies do. I mean, he's a, he's on pace for minimally a 25-25 season, but he could do 30-30 right out of the shoot. And what it does in terms of connecting with our fans, what it does in terms of messaging to the league around us. We had a pretty good year on the field last year. We're having another very good year on the, on the field this year. And, and I, I think there's a good vibe around the Mariners. This, a personality like Julio's, the credibility that he brings us with the other players throughout the league and, and what that could do in terms of attracting other players to the Mariners over time, uh, what it could do in changing the view of the Mariners. And, and I do think our play on the field is in the process of changing that. But when you have players like this that, that really do uh, catch your attention, there's nowhere we go right now. Walking off a bus, coming into a ballpark, stepping out on a field where they're not screaming for Julio. And that's something you just don't see very often. He has, in addition to an incredible amount of talent, he has that kind of it factor that a lot of guys just don't have, even if they're great players. And, and he has that. And it's, uh, it's really fun to see what that could do in, in changing the way the Mariners are perceived over time. Julio's been parking in my parking spot in the team garage, Jerry, for the better part of just let it happen. Bro. Over two let months, <laughs> and I, I never said anything to Julio because, and you like, like like humanity, I love Julio. Yeah, and then he signed the mega deal, and I thought, well, I'm never getting my spot back. Well, it's not your spot. You should start calling it Julio's spot. Yeah, because uh, it's not yours. Uh, it was it it, it it was mine for nine years, and it was a Jerry. It was a great nine year run. I mean, spot number fifty eight and I had a real thing going, mm-hmm. but you know. It's time to move on. And if I have to move to the auxiliary satellite parking lot, then so be it, Jerry. Sometimes you just have to acknowledge when it's time. That's what this is. It's a public yeah. forum for me to say, until Julio. Now, I do think uh, it's, not a, it's not a bad parking spot at all. I mean, Julio's parking in it after all. But it's not the premier parking spot. I do feel like eventually Julio will age out of spot 58. Because there's probably 57 spots that are closer. I, I think that at some point in the near future, that'll happen. But it'll be organic. Mother Nature will take care of herself. And one day, I will roll in. And at that point, it'll probably be a Bentley. Uh, we'll no longer be in spot 58. It'll be more in the top five. And then, you know, I'll just put her right back into my old spot. And, you know, nature will reset itself. In your Flintstone mobile. Exactly. It's just like when, like when a beautiful forest burns to the ashes but the ashes help to regrow it to become even more spectacular one day i will love my spot even more than i do now so we got to get to the point you will know that julio has truly arrived as an organizational icon when he gets that that front upper right hand corner spot there it is yeah that that's the one for as long as i've worked here when you pull in for a day game there's a there's an orange cone <laughs> sitting in the middle of that spot, and there have only been two cars that park in that spot for my time as a Mariner, Felix or Ichiro. <laughs> we will know when Julio has reached that level when he gets to park in that spot. Well, I, it's, coming, it's coming soon. It's coming very soon, Jerry. It's coming very soon. On the pitching side of things, Jerry, we got news uh, just uh, moments ago, really, uh, within the hour, that uh, one of your young pitchers has been named the American League Rookie of the Month. It is George Kirby. He's obviously had a sensational month. He had a historic start, Jerry. He threw 24 straight strikes to begin his game against the Nationals. That had never been done on the pitch track era, uh, dating back to 1988. He comes up. 
He's a success right away, which kind of seems to be a thing with Mariners rookie pitchers this year. But it's been a phenomenal year, not just a great month for George Kirby. He's been great. This is George. There's ceiling left for, for George. He's, uh, he's just 24 years old. We knew George would powder the strike zone. This is what he does. He's got velocity. He's got the breaking balls. He throws both breaking balls for strikes. His changeup still doesn't use it a ton, and when he does, it's very effective. We've talked about the quality of all four of his offerings. The strike zone command is something that he's had, and I, I wish we could take credit for that. I'm pretty sure in diapers, George was rolling <laughs> out there and, and, uh, and hammering the zone. Sitting there and watching him fill up the zone when he threw the 24 straight against the, the Nationals, I, I, was, I was actually sitting with Justin. We're watching the game. Uh, just quietly, the two of us in the box, and he's he's at about 15 straight strikes, and now my you know my antenna are up, and and I, I turned around when he got to 18, 19, and I said to Justin, it's happening, <laughs> and uh, and he said what? If you're just watching the game, unless you're tracking it, you might lose the fact that he was hammering the strike zone so consistently. <laughs> But, uh, you know, Justin and I happened to be working uh, on the team opposite Bartolo Colon when he threw 38 straight strikes in a game. And at one point we turned around when Bart was doing it. And I said, this is absurd. I've never seen anything like this. And I turned around to Justin in that moment and I said, it's happening. Someone is going to take down. We used to call Bartolo Colon Boogie. Somebody's going <laughs> to take down Boogie. And. And I had no idea at that time that that curb was already on his way to you know the, the the record to start a game. So that was a pleasant surprise. And my guess is it's probably not the last time we see George do something like that. He's just a he's a phenomenal strike thrower. He's so in control of his own body and in his own his own arsenal. I think. Speaking of his arsenal, I think maybe the most encouraging thing that's happened for our pitching in general, outside of the, the arrival of Luis Castillo, <laughs> is uh, is George coming up with a two-seamer yeah. that all of a sudden now he looks like Oral Hershiser in his prime or, or Greg Maddox running two-seamers back. Well, he's doing it 97 miles an hour, which is pretty phenomenal. You put your finger on what I find so amazing about what he has done so far. He's been up here for... A handful of starts in the scheme of things, right? And already we've seen him add the two-seamer. We've seen him change his slider already. How rare is it to see a pitcher have this kind of success early on while making this kind of adjustment so soon to start a major league career? It's the thing we've watched with George from the day he joined the organization. He is an incredibly quick learner. The, the, how quickly he adapts to a new thought or a new idea. And he's a very curious guy. You know, he'll ask the question. It's similar to what we've talked about with Logan. He'll ask the question. The one thing that I've noticed with George is that no matter what it is, it, it could be shaping a pitch. It could be you know, roughly anything athletically. And, and I might even go beyond athletic. If you suggest something to George, it feels like he can learn it in minutes. <laughs> He's just unbelievable at picking up new things, and and uh, it's I don't share that trait. <laughs> you know, it takes me a long time to learn something, and and uh, George is just a naturally fast learner, and and what he's able to do. You know, even in, in transition, like the motor skill associated with picking up a new pitch is it's pretty amazing. Just yeah. figuring out where to start it is, is something that takes. A lot of years for guys to perfect, and he seems to have refined it quicker than I've ever seen anybody do. It's been uh, pretty amazing uh, what is happening on the pitching front of things. You know, the Mariners offensively, it's funny, 
Gary and I were talking about this the other day off the air, how the Mariners' offense has been a punching bag at times for Mariners fans just because of the inconsistencies, right? And because of that, you can kind of have this feeling as a even an engaged Mariners fan that the Mariners' offense is not good. And yet when you look at it, it really is pretty good, right? I mean, it's at worst average in a number of really important categories. And a guy who it seems like is being overlooked despite the fact that he's just a an awesome, cool dude who just rakes all the time is Eugenio Suarez, a guy that when he was acquired, the the shiny, flashy thing was Jesse Winker, right? And Suarez was the guy to fill the open spot at third base. Now you look at third baseman right now in baseball, Jerry, by WRC+, Plus. there's some guys who are MVP candidates in Nolan Arenado and Austin Riley, a guy we see here in Jose Ramirez, a guy who was a runner-up years ago in the MVP in Alex Bregman, Devers, and Gino. I mean, he has been a wildly productive player who posts each and every day. Is this what you thought you were getting? We got a lot more than we hoped for. And we thought what we were going to get was the normal, uh, I guess, the normal version of, of Gino. Is, is over time with the Cincinnati Reds, he has been an excellent player. And, you know, as most players, when they get into their 30s, you're going to see some type of regression. And we saw, largely due to a shoulder injury, you know, his, his performance regress. We went out and acquired him believing that somewhere between that regression and, and the high end of what Gino did for about a three, four-year stretch there with the Reds, we could fall in the middle there. And, and what he did was he just took it all the way back to the top. What Gino's best years look like, they look like this. And he's, he's a good defender. He's been incredibly consistent. The throwing accuracy has been shockingly good. And, you know, the power we knew we'd get. That's just part of the package with him. And a good friend a few days ago, maybe it was as recently as yesterday, suggested to me that, that Gino was just moments away from knocking down the all-time strikeout yeah. record for the Mariners. And, and I thought... I'll scream it from the mountaintops. I don't care, and I don't know who who, who notices. I, striking out is okay when you walk 11 12% of the time, you play defense like he plays it, and you do the damage that he does. He's And, and he's done it every single day. I mean, he, he really has been incredibly consistent, and at times when our offense has been in a bad place, he has been a, a beacon that, that just – picks up the runs, drives in the runs, the big homer when you need it the most. He's, he's had an awesome year for us, and, and from start to finish, it's hard to imagine we could have gotten any more from, from Gino than what he's given us. It's so funny you mentioned the strikeouts because Aaron and I just had the same conversation a couple of days ago, and we have the same conclusion. Like, with the production, I don't care. Yeah. That's what you get. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, too. With the rest of the lineup, is it easier to absorb, too, with the rest of the lineup? If you had nine guys maybe striking out at that rate, it would be a different story? I think it would be almost inoperable if right. you had nine guys that, that, that had that same trait. And it, I'd flash back to, you know, like the – the, the really powerful Tigers teams of, of my generation. You know, the, the yes. Cecil Fielder, uh-huh. Rob Deere, yeah. Mickey Tettleton, that, you know, Travis Fryman, that group. You know, they, they had big pop, mm-hmm. and they tended to miss a lot. And, you know, it's a, you can have players like that in your lineup, but you have to offset it with on base. You have to offset it with guys who do make more contact and, and do create the traffic for that group to clean up. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, one of the things I find most remarkable about Gino is that typically players with that skill set tend to be madly streaky. And, and Gino really hasn't been crazy streaky. You know, his streaks have been shorter in, in nature. And I, I, you don't go through the, the six-week stretch uh, of seeing just a ton of strikeouts and no productivity. His productivity keeps on coming. And, and I think that's how you wind up looking back to 2016 and, and he hits more home runs than anybody who's played because he just keeps on delivering. And, you know, even in the downtime in Cincinnati when he wasn't performing at the same standard that, that he had previously set, he was still hitting his homers. And it's, uh, I think he gives you a, a great clean him up bat, you know, and he can hit anywhere from fourth to sixth in a lineup. And as if you've got guys who can create traffic like we do, that he just makes you a run-scoring threat every time he steps in the box. Jerry, I know you're a little stitious, at least. Would you mind if I said publicly what the Mariners' playoff odds, according to Fangraphs, are right now? Would that oh, bother no. you? I would first prefer that you explain to me what is happening on, t on the TV to your hard right. <laughs> uh, it's, to your, it's to your immediate left, I must say, as well. Yeah, we have the um, – we're about an hour and uh, – Yeah, explain this. We're about an hour and 40 minutes outside of first pitch, and – on our monitors here in the radio booth, we have the uh, the audio test going on on the root feed. So it has a score bug in the lower left hand corner, and it has right right hand corner, and it has the uh, high home camera. And uh, going diagonally from home plate to first base is a um, synthesizer. Yes, if I said that correctly. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, pounding the ivories, the plastic ivories on the electronic piano is a uh, red and white cat uh, with. A baby blue T-shirt on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and in a rainbow font from left field to right field, an old typewriter font, it says, audio test. So I'm guessing uh, that somebody's wearing a headset, and it just sounds pretty terrible right now because it's a, it's a cat pounding away at a piano. Somebody's having fun. I, I, <laughs> Gary saw this about two hours ago and said, what is that? <laughs> and I had... I had the same answer. This is not the first time. This is frequent. <laughs> and I can't explain it. T Jerry, TV people are yeah. really, really it weird, looks man. It seems obvious. To really me. weird. That's whoever's Bizarre. putting that on. Lines uh, up in the weird category. Uh, we'll, uh, yes, we'll, weird. We'll, we'll, right. uh, we'll set this up again in uh, three, two. Uh, no, I don't <laughs> mind. <laughs> okay, good. All right, Jerry, I will tell you, as we speak right now, it is September the 2nd, a Friday. The Mariners' playoff odds, according to Fangraphs, is 97.4%. So, with that in mind, it does seem like the odds are very high that the Mariners will be playing uh, into October. But uh, as Gary and I have talked about the wild card pursuit and this expanded playoff format, and there's now three wild card teams, and for those who are unfamiliar, the top wild card team hosts all three games. It is the great advantage. He hosts the that team hosts the second wild card team. As you're watching this final month play out. I mean, how important in your eyes and in those around you is not only getting in, but getting that top wild card spot, which your team has either held or been within a game and change for, for quite some time now? Standard would be focus on what you can do today. Focus on the, the, the game at hand. Run through your process, execute, let the scoreboard take care of itself. The same thing that we tell the guys over and over. I check that every day. <laughs> I check it every day, and it, there's and I'm looking at it, and and we would be kidding ourselves if any of us, we we all see how close we are to being able to do something that's very special. You know, we're all excited by it, and there's not one of us that doesn't see the advantage in in going out and winning that top spot because 
we think we're capable. We, we think our team is good enough. Uh, I guess I'm excited by the fact that our team is playing the type of baseball right now that gives us a chance to realistically pull that off. And having this club make the playoffs, is it's a dream come true. Going out and playing our first series in the postseason in, in over 20 years in Seattle would be phenomenal, both for our potential for, for moving deeper into the postseason, but also as a reward for our players, their families, our fan base, the organization at large who just hasn't seen this in so long. And just like anybody, we are we are prone to getting caught up in that ourselves. We're not going to plan too far ahead, mm. but there's, again, somewhere tonight, win or lose, I am going to open that up and I'm going to see where we're at. Because every day that ticks by that our chances are that high is one day closer to where we want to be. In this chase, how does baseball change in September? How do the games change, knowing what you're playing for? I think to some degree, the games just get shorter. You're only willing to go so far into the game before you just you make that change. You may be more aggressive in, in how quickly you go to your bullpen. You may be more aggressive with you know a slower runner is in scoring position and 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 sending in a, a Hags or a Demo or you know sending someone in that might be able to pick up that run that you might need. And you know you just see things differently. You might see more, you know, one plus or multiple inning type outings from your top relievers as you get closer to the end. But you know we do still have over a month to play, and and as a as a general rule, you don't want to start running too fast too quickly because you might burn out. But you know every game that you have a chance to win, you've got to take the shot and go win that game. And you know I, I will say that over the first five months of a baseball season. It, standard is hey this is a marathon you don't do anything crazy you, you understand that uh, the the old Casey Stengel adage you know you're gonna you're gonna win 50 you're gonna lose 50 that much is standard you know we're past that point <laughs> we're past that point and now every every run every decision you make feels amplified once you get into September and we're probably about 10 days away from the point where it really feels like it's starting to, to, to pick up and heat up. And, and hopefully 10 days from now, we're in a similar position to where we are today. Because I, I know we've earned the position we're in. And, and hopefully we continue to play this way and, and give ourselves a chance going into those final two weeks to, to have what I think will be the most enjoyable two weeks that this franchise has seen in, in a lot of years. June 19th, Mariners playoff odds, 5%. I mean, in two and a half months, roughly, Jerry, it's gone from 5% to 97.6. I mean, it's hard to find a comp historically for that, I would think. I don't know how you look that up, but I mean, this is, it's really rare and unique and incredible what how this the the arc of this season the flow of this season for the Mariners. Yeah, I don't know who would be the comp. You know, I do know it, it can't be it couldn't have been terribly higher than that for last year's world champs, you know. I mean, they they were they were they were in a, a similarly tough spot at the at the midpoint of last season and then really turned on the Jets you know what their division looked like around them I don't quite remember but you know, it's what we've done since the middle of June has been remarkable and uh, we've we've rough we've been the best team in the American League by wins and losses and and you know we, we don't often do it in, in in traditional ways we do it with a lot of close games uh, we do it with you know heroics up and down our roster. You could point to any player that, that that is currently active with the Mariners and some who are in Tacoma or or perhaps not even in the organization any longer, and they had their moment. 
You know, they had their moment where they contributed in a big way. They had their their kind of change the season moment. And I think that's what makes this so much more exciting is that we are not a team that's driven by the by a, a a foundation of six superstars that are driving the, the the lineup to 15 runs a night. You know, we're not a team that's going to go out and pound somebody night after night, 11 to two and nine to one. We need our pitchers to pitch well. Our bullpen collectively has been phenomenal, and we find ways to create runs. And, and one of the things I'm really proud of is that is that whether it's Gino or Ty or it's Jesse Winker or Mitch, the, the veteran players who you expect to chip in, but it's also been Sam Haggerty and Dylan Moore. It's it, you know it's been Cal Raleigh who in the second half of this season has been you know a revelation for us in the power department and and so many people chipping in and 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 making this happen. Good call on the Braves. You have to go so so far back. You have to go back to last July. <laughs> I mean, you really have to go deep into the archives. Yeah, the Braves last year, roughly a week before the deadline, had a 7% chance of making the playoffs. That's remarkable. I have a really unique stump JD for you today. If it means who will be the next team to win the world <laughs> championship, I, I, would, uh, I would like to be that team. All right. This is. Uh, I, I wish I could have thought of this on my own. Uh, Jordan Schusterman, a uh, great Mariner fan, uh, he of Cespedes Barbecue, uh, texted this to me a while ago and said, hey, at some point a stump JD, this, this would be a really, really unique one. And I think we're in the perfect place for it. Because, JD, it's about you. And really? It's about, it's about your rookie season right here in Cleveland. All right. Not many people know this, Jerry. Your rookie year as a, in your age 25 season in 1993, you came in eighth in the rookie of the year vote. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I what I would say, one Momo rooted for me. <laughs> First of all, Jared, as I as I look at your your reference page, uh, we're not D and the Z very well. Our rookie not year, not my thing. I yeah. mean, <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Thirty walks, forty one tickets punched, Jerry. I mean. Ah, uh, would want to cut that down, but you know what? You did get a vote and a 240 Ernie, uh, 46 appearances. But I do think it was something in the neighborhood of about a 60 percent ground ball rate. Okay, so it's a, like right. that was my thing. You walk them and you get two. That's right. That's a great. And I didn't let them hit it out of the ball. <laughs> uh, no homers. Yeah, no homers. All right. You know, what? almost forgiven. Almost forgiven. So somebody uh, voted for you in the American League Rookie of the Year. Uh, can you name for me, Jerry, the seven players who? <laughs> were voted ahead of you. Oh, man. For the American Some of them, like, for sure. Some of them. Uh, Tim Salmon w- yeah, he was won the it. winner. Yeah, nicely done. Tim Salmon he was the 20, winner. He got 28 first place votes. Um, poof. Boy, who would be some of the others? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm trying to make a quick spin around the league to figure out who the others might have been. This is so deep um, in the weeds. It's fantastic. Brent Gates? Yes. He is, he, hey, nice. nicely done. Uh, he received seven votes. 5% on the share. He is one of two athletics that year. I'm going to say one of two athletics that year. The other one would have been Craig Paquette? No. No? Oh, that's a that's lovely a gr- I'm going into the weeds. You, you told me I needed to be in the weeds. That's where I'm going. Um, this guy, uh, first baseman, DH. John Jaha. No. Oh. First baseman, DH. Yeah. Went to Texas too. A&M. Oh, it, uh, uh, Mike Neal. Uh, Troy uh, Neal. Yes. Troy Neal. Na- nice. Troy Neal. Nice. Mike okay. Neal was the guy I played with. Okay, with so we got Troy. We got Brent Wayne Kirby, my teammate. Yes. We got Wayne. Very uh, good. There was a Mariner 
This was not an illustrious class after Tim Sam. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like it was kind of Tim and a lot of everybody else. Although the second place vote winner from the White Sox, the second place vote. Jason Bure. Yes. Uh, oh. Also Aaron Seeley. Yes, third place. Yep. We've got one, two, three, four. Fifth was a Mariner. Fifth was a Mariner, and that was... The unique thing about this player, his rookie year came in his age 29 season. It was oh. Rich Amaral. Yes. yes. Yeah. Phenomenal. Uh, you got Gates, Neil. Uh, yes, nicely done. That's it? Uh, you tied... You actually didn't own eighth place. <laughs> <laughs> you, you it's the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't going to say anything. You, but. you co-shared eighth place uh, with a uh, another one-vote getter from the Texas Rangers. Which would have been uh, oh, no, center fielder, David yes. Hulse. Yes. Whoa. Yep. Wow, yep. Jerry. Now, I got to tell that you, man, well done. that – that have, is impressive. Have yeah. you ever seen the footage of David Hulse? The, all the, the you may recall this. You won't remember it having been David Hulse, but old Arlington Stadium before the new place was built, and there was a left-handed hitter who continually fouled balls off into the dugout until they, it was like six or eight straight foul balls <laughs> rocketed into the dugout until everybody started moving down, and the whole team was at the far end of the bench. That was David Hall. So oh. if you get a chance, pull it up. It's a great video. So he had yeah. uh, he has YouTube immortality and shared eighth place in the rookie tier vote. There you go. That's pretty good. That's right. That's pretty That's good. Right. I had a fun career. You know, I never look back and say I was the eighth place you know finisher <laughs> until, in the, until now. The, yeah, it's it's not a great story to tell, <laughs> but you know the the fun that you have, the remembering all those names. Now I'm starting to think through all those players that you played against that year, and and you know when you're playing against other rookies. You know, it's a it's because those were typically guys you played against coming through the minor leagues, and, and it's, it's pretty cool, actually, thinking back on it. Hey, congratulations, Jerry. Who, who knew then when somebody called and said, hey, you finished eighth place, that in the middle of a final September season playoff push, as you're a general manager, you'd be re-signing everybody <laughs> who finished ahead of you. There's That's a great baseball life, Jerry. It's a fun life. I, there's, I, I actually will say, and I, I, I reminded Justin and Andy of this as we walked into the ballpark, I said every time I walk into you know what was the Prague, <laughs> formerly Jacobs Field, I, I walk in and I remember my, my rookie year at Old Cleveland Muni, I did not give up a home run, and 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 it, part of that was because I got a lot of ground balls. The other part of it was that it, they it, it took a lot to hit a home run at Cleveland Municipal. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and then my my very first inning pitching at Jacobs Field, I gave up a bomb, and oh. and uh, now I come back and I see it uh, over and over. I see it landing right there, home sweet field. I was just going to ask because I, I noticed here you only have you only gave up one home run in your two years with Cleveland. So yeah, the second year was truncated by cancer, <laughs> but okay. uh, but the, the I did give up a home run to Jim Layeritz here in my first uh, my first outing in 1994. By the way, your baseball reference photo is you as a Rocky. It's a very good headshot, Jerry. If you controlled baseball reference for a day, which team's headshot would you choose? I played for the Rockies for the longest. Okay. It seems right, you know. But the uh, the time here in Cleveland, I got to be here as the renaissance of the, the organizational renaissance was happening. And and in a lot of ways, I've had this conversation with people who work in our front office. We've talked about it in, in at various times through our planning from 2018 to today. What we watched happen when I was a young player with the Indians, when you know Albert Bell and Carlos Baerga and Kenny Lofton and Sandy Alomar, 
Charlie Nagy, so many good young players, Jim Tomey, Manny Ramirez, started to elevate toward the big leagues. You know, and, and everything started to come together at the, in the second half of 1993, which was my first year in the league. And, and in 1994, you know, we're a second-place team. And the first time we have a, a wild card to go win. And, and then there was a strike, and we didn't get to, to see it through. And then the next year, it's a World Series club. And, and in the first half of 1993, we were the worst team in the league. And the second half of 1993, we were hell on wheels, and we were rolling along largely because the, the eighth-place finisher and the rookie of the year was somehow shutting down <laughs> despite <laughs> never missing a bat. But, yeah, we, we, we wound up being a very good team at the second half of that year, and then from then on, the next decade was, you know, was, was a great time to, to be in and around the Cleveland Indians organization and this community and the, a renaissance in downtown Cleveland at that time. And, and uh, you know, I, I can't help but, but think that way in, in the grand scheme. Can we, can we do something even close to scratching that surface in Seattle? Because it's, it's exciting, and I don't think it's crazy to think. Well, Jerry, we will think of you every day for the rest of the season when we update our Fangraphs playoff odds yeah. page. And we'll think maybe there's a chance that right now doing the same thing is Jerry DePoto. And is smiling as much as we are. <laughs> there you go. And instead, I'm probably drinking a glass of wine, staring at Jim Lairitz, sitting a bomb off me 30 years ago, <laughs> thinking that son of a... <laughs> Jerry, it's great to be with you, man. Thank you, as always. No, it's, it's always fun.